Welcome to another episode of What You Don't Know. Our guests this week are Jeff Nelson, Superintendent of the Virtual Community School of Ohio, and John Lutz, Director of Newark Digital Academy. John and Jeff are here to discuss um, recent issues with FTE reviews that have affected uh, all of our school, all of our e-schools, and we're also going to talk a little bit about the new sponsor ratings that came out last week. So let's get right to it. Um, I guess the first thing, I'll start with Jeff. Jeff, how have the changes that the state has imposed on e-schools changed things or made things more difficult for you at the Virtual Community School of Ohio? Well, well, the biggest difficulty is us getting accurate measurement of all the different learning opportunities we offer kids. Um, We offer kids uh, 41 different learning opportunities, and getting an accurate measure uh, of that uh, has added quite a bit of an expense, which which we were happy to do for this year uh, to comply with ODE, but um, and and quite a quite a bit of um, of time request on on the student and parent end which is fine with us uh, but a lot of times as you know it, it's difficult to to get our parents to get engaged and and to get active so we've had to rely on them much more uh, for that oh I'd echo what what Jeff said um, you know we don't have quite as many vendors that we're working with but we've got a dozen and so when you're down downloading uh, seat time data and trying to mash it all together on some homemade uh, instrument that you've thrown together just to try to meet this level of compliance. Um, you know, it's a, it's a lot it's a lot of man hours in doing that. Um, but where we're really struggling is just getting some good guidance on the other part, um, the offline. And um, as soon as that FTE manual came out on September first, I was working with our uh, local court, our regional coordinator. Um, to try to get some questions answered, and you know, I haven't gotten any feedback on those yet, but, I mean, they're legitimate questions. What do we do with all those students that are engaged in post-secondary um, college credit plus and the hours that they're spending in a traditional uh, brick-and-mortar classroom setting that the manual says, you know, doesn't count for e-students? Um, my fear is that there's going to be a lot of data that we're going to need to have that's going to get away from us before we get answers and then trying to uh, go back and recover that data and recreate the uh, you know those logs and things very difficult yeah I think one of the issues that that all three of us have and I you know this is unscripted and unrehearsed but the retroactivity aspect of what the department did last year I mean for us we were notified in January that we were going under an FTE review and you know, even the FTE review, the initial review they did in March changed. And then they changed it again when they came back in July. And what they're requesting goes back to the beginning of the previous school year. So I think we all have a problem with the retroactive demands. And we're very mobile. You know, we have about 58% mobility rate. How do you go back and get learning logs and things signed off on when we didn't know we were supposed to do it of parents that have left us or students that have left us? So I think retroactivity and mobility are two big issues for us. Yeah, I, I think one, my biggest fear uh, and along the lines of what John has said is, is not only um, getting that material, but we are capturing that material, whether or not that material will be accepted um, and, and uh, kind of going along the lines of what you said, when the rules seem like they're being made up as we go and and changed as we go, um, we can prepare all we want to this year and feel like we're doing what we need to be doing, but those rules can be changed uh, when we get to the end of the year. 
Well, John, I think you brought up a, a really good point. I know as I sit here today, even though that, of course, ECOT's engaged with a lawsuit with the state, um, we have never had a meeting with ODE or our area coordinator to tell us what would be accepted uh, for offline time and what's not. And, and have either of you had any uh, meetings where they've sat down and said, do this, do this, do this, and we'll accept it? I mean, the issue for us is if, if you take that foundation funding and you divide it by 920 hours and you see, you know, what your time is worth per hour, um, you know, for us, the big struggle is uh, what makes us different as a dropout prevention is the number of people I have in support roles. Um, and Jeff, you had talked a little bit earlier about, you know, the, the high level of poverty in our students um, and just having people on your staff to help people figure out their lives so that they can get to the academic work. Boy, I don't know how you do that on uh, $6.52 an hour is, is what it boils down to. So we've talked a lot about how this affects schools and and school districts. One of my big fears, we've increased graduation rate. We've increased standards. Um, we've increased what it takes to earn a diploma. Now you're on a point system. We've changed tests three times in three years. Once schools like yours are forced out of business by the state, what happens to the students? You know, aren't we at a time where we're going to see a, a massive number of students that aren't able to graduate and earn a diploma? I mean, yeah, you you are, Rick, and, and, and I, <clears throat> you know, I'm I'm confident that school districts will catch up with with the new standards, but that's going to take some time. And in the meantime, what you're going to have is a growing bubble of kids who aren't going, oh, we saw it with the report card already, um, this past uh, report card. We're going to have a growing bubble of kids who aren't going to meet the graduation requirements. And what the state is effectively doing uh, w with some of these new rules on dropout prevention schools and e-schools is taking away options for those students. So the question now becomes what happens to that growing bubble of kids? What is going to happen to them? Because you're talking about 19 and 20 and 21-year-old kids. And perhaps their only option is going to be to go back to their brick-and-mortar schools. Now, I think a lot of them at 19 and 20 and 21, year old, 21 years old aren't going to want to go back to their brick-and-mortar schools and walk the hallways. And I'm going to guess that a lot of the administrators in the brick-and-mortar schools aren't going to want to have them walking the hallways with their 14-year-old students. So what, what are the options for those students? We, we're, uh, the department is, is coming out with these new requirements that are going to take all of their options away. Now, 10 years down the road, <clears throat> will we start to catch up and, and meet the requirements? Sure we will. But you're going to have a 10-year a, a bubble of students that wh wh what's going to happen to them in society? What are we going to look like uh, if, if we are not giving them an option? Yeah, I think all three of our schools are similar in the fact that um, we've, we've developed services for students based on some, some uh, niches and communities that we found um, – due to work that wasn't being done by others. And uh, two, two groups that I really look at, and I'm, and I'm fearful f for what might happen to these, Jeff talked a little bit about the, the older students or, you know, the returning to school population. You know, you're 19 years old, um, maybe you only have a few credits to, to finish, but without, without us being in a ball game, um, I'm not sure you have very many options. 
we've developed a lot of um, of services for young parents, and um, we have as as much as ten percent of our student body now are young uh, parenting men and women, um, and we've done so because there is a void in our community of how to provide flexible instruction to people that have that uh, kind of demand in their life. Well, and I think you do what we do. I mean, it's not only flexible instruction, but you have people on staff, des- departments designed or people designed to help them see the community or get the community resources they need to provide for their children and, and you know, help them. Yeah, we work closely in our community with a dozen different agencies. And uh, uh, about three weeks ago, we had uh, our yearly open house, and, and part of that is we have a session that is devoted to our agencies, just to kind of bring them up to, on to speed of what some of the new goals for the year are and some of the new services we'd like to push out. And we started talking a little bit about, you know, kind of bringing this full circle about the funding dilemma that we might be facing. And um, as I was explaining what we're going to be up against, I will tell you, that the air in that room went from one of disbelief to anger of, of what might be taken away from the Newark community. Yeah, and, and that's something that as as we've gone over the past couple of months, I think, John, is true um, of of the entire state. We've, we've seen some sensationalized stories in the paper, um, and, and what it really is is half-truths, and I wonder if people really know the whole truth of, of what's being done here. Um, and, and the whole truth really is that the department is coming out and trying to treat people differently, basically. Um, and, and I think there is a discriminata- discrimination against a couple of groups here. Uh, one is, uh, and I don't know what your free and reduced run- lunch rate is. We, we run between 73 and 75 percent. Same area. So, yeah. yeah, we're same. So I, I think what and, – and, I'm going to assume that it's inadvertent from the department, but what you're seeing here is a discrimination against families in poverty. Um, they're going, they're coming out, and they're treating one of the options that many families in poverty uh, are choosing to go to, and they're treating them differently, and they're funding them differently. Um, so, I, I think again, I, I want to say that it's probably inadvertent from them, but I, I just don't know that they've, they've thought of that. We know that there are studies that show there's a direct link, the national studies that show there's a direct link between poverty and, um, and, and student achievement. And what we're now going to do is fund those kids less. Uh, we're going we're gonna to take the schools that a majority of those kids choose to go to and families uh, are, go to, and we're going to fund them differently and fund them less. And so what you all ultimately are going to have is families in poverty are going to be uh, receive less money for their students than than families in in uh, more fluent school districts. And and again, um, I don't know if that's the intention of the department, but I, I feel pretty confident that that was never the intention of uh, the legislators when they looked at school choice and when they wrote some of the laws that the department are relying on to do this. I can feel very confidently that both sides of the aisle never intended to discriminate against families in poverty, and they never intended to fund them less or give more less money for those students. Well, and I'm going to throw in a two-cent piece here as well. I think the people at the department that, the, that are in place at the department right now haven't been in a school. They haven't been out. They, they don't know the kids that have transferred into our schools. Um, I know the people that we've dealt with in the lawsuit that 
testified for ODE, um, they've never set foot. One had set foot in a private school for one year in another state. It, unless you're actively out in school buildings, uh, you don't know the poverty rate and, and the issues that we have with all these kids. So I'm not sure it's intentional, but it's certainly a byproduct of what they're doing. Well, definitely. I, I would hope it's not intentional. But, you know, just to, to give an example for those who aren't really aware of the intentions of the department going forward, we can have I can have a student um, that is that is sick and doesn't work for that day and the department will not fund us. For that day, for that student, while um, a student in a, a nicer district may decide, you know, they're sick and be allowed to stay home, but that district will will receive the funding. So um, it's whether it's intentional or not, it definitely and it doesn't have to be intentional to be discriminatory. Well, one thing before we kind of wrap up, I don't, I'm not sure everyone knows that each of us have a sponsor, each of us have a different sponsor. Um, you both are sponsored by individual school districts. The Virtual Community School of Ohio is sponsored by Reynoldsburg City Schools. And John at New York, Newark, City Newark City Schools. Right. We're actually sponsored by a public consortium of schools from the ESC of Lake Erie West. All of us are funded or sponsored by public school districts. Recently, the state uh, rated the sponsors and rated 21 of the state sponsors poor. Uh, everybody else is ineffective except for five who were rated effective. No sponsor was rated exemplary. How is the state rating system of sponsors beginning to affect you and your schools? Yeah, John, you want to start? Sure. Um, <laughs> in, ever since those ratings came out, what, about 2 o'clock last uh, Thursday, um, that's pretty much been on my mind. Um, as I prepare for Monday uh, and our board meeting, I've uh, – come up with about five different scenarios uh, that, that we need to discuss that range the whole gamut, including is it just time to, to lock the doors? Um, because this is, um, you know, we're already dealing with the FTE issue. Now we have this sponsorship issue, and then we're a dropout prevention credit recovery program. Um, as you may or may not know, the governor has a study task force um, they are, have been continuing their work, which they will finalize in February, and then we'll have a whole new set of laws that are going to be proposed for dropout prevention. So it's going to be, you know, the third major crisis for uh, our school operations. Um, you know, it's, uh, it, it's almost insurmountable sometimes, it seems. Well, a lot of the same. It feels like, um, you know, the sad thing is it feels like we constantly fight a battle against an organization that is supposed to be supporting us and helping us. And it just, every year, it feels like um, it's something else, not really feeling the support. Um, But from a sponsorship standpoint, Reynoldsburg's been uh, unbelievable sponsor for us and, and offered a lot of assistance. I know that when they got into the sponsorship business, it was it was for kids and to to give different options for different kids that, that may not fit the traditional brick and mortar role. And uh, so so yeah, it's it's the, it's hard not to feel a, a defeated you know feeling um, when things like this constantly come at you. Yeah. And Newark has been a great sponsor for us, too, you know. Um, when um, Mr. Ute got the, uh, the job as, as district superintendent, um, I met with him within the first 
week or so, and I'd only been on the job for about a year at that time. Um, and he said, you know, I just I want to view what you folks do as just another branch on on the tree of education in Newark, Ohio, if you will. Um, and they have treated us as such. We've we've been given the freedom and the flexibility to really just go with our programming where our clientele was telling us we need to go. And it felt, you know, we've we, we've we felt so good about. Um, the level of productivity that we've had because we've really been responsive to the needs that have been ever-changing in our local community. Well, I, th- I think that's one of the issues that, that I have. We're, we are sponsored by the ESC of Lake Erie West, and our sponsor's been very supportive. You know, to hear you both sit here and tell me how supportive your sponsors have been. You know, if you read Ohio Revised Code, it says that you're governed by your contract with your sponsor, but yet the Ohio Department of Education, in their attempt to eliminate school choice, is going around that, and you know they're they're trying to insert themselves in place of the sponsor. All three of us have good relationships with our sponsors, so I look at this as an attack on school choice. You know, it's limiting what our parents and students. The choices they have in making a determination for their for their students' education. Well, yeah, Rick, I think that's the second group that this discriminates against, and it's it's a, a silent. Um, I, I think it, it's missed in all of this. Uh, when when our legislators decided to go with school choice, it was to give power to the parents, and this is going to limit what OD is trying to do now with charter schools is going to limit uh, some of those choices for those parents. I'll give you an example. You could have a student who has a, a great student who logs in all of their time and, and documents all of their time, and, and so they would be a fully funded student. Um, but And so the department would say as long as that student logs in, you, you get full funding and they're not affected. But they in it, they are inadvertently affected because there are so many other students in the school who may not, for whatever reason, and we've talked about poverty or whatever it may be, don't log in as much. So it it is uh, it, it, when ODE attacks that funding, it affects the services we can provide for the students who are perfect. And and there are very few perfect students in any school. But for that perfect student, they're affected because we can't provide as many things to them because we're we're not being funded uh, for all of our students. So inadvertently, it it certainly affects school choice. And you know that's that's I I think an effect. I'm not so sure that is inadvertent by the department. Uh, when at least in my experience, I, I'm I'm not so sure it's not pers- purposeful. Um, the department is made up of a lot of people who used to be, belong to a group that is very anti-charter. So um, I, I'm not convinced that this is this this one this part of discrimination is inadvertent. Yeah, you know, on the topic of of school choice, one of the sayings that we have around North Digital Academy is, you know, every Every day in this city, there's potentially a, a parent, a student, a family um, that is going to experience some crisis that's going to need the, the, the flexibility and the programming, whether it be for two months or two years. Um, and, and our goal has always been to um, be there to accommodate that need for that family, um, to be good caretakers of our public dollars, to be good caretakers um, of that student's academic record. Um, again, whether they're with us for, for two months or two years. Um, certainly, when, when those kinds of choices are taken away, um, you, 
there's a lot of people that stand to lose a lot. I agree. Well, if you're going to have a department that's going to be making rules uh, that we have to follow, then let's make sure that department's made up of, of non-biased, a non-biased group. Well, I want to thank both of you for being here today. Is, is there any last thing you would like to say in closing? Thanks. Thanks very much for, for having me and let me come in. I appreciate being part of it. I, I think ultimately all we really want is, is to be for all of our kids to be treated the same and be treated equally to, to the rest of the kids uh, around the state and, and other schools around the state. So, you know, if the logic uh, from ODE is that we only want to fund students for when they are engaging in learning opportunities, okay, that's fine. But let's just make sure, if we're, let's use that logic with, with students in, in all schools. Uh, for example, there's a very large school district in Northeast Ohio who has a 35% truancy rate. Uh, there's a very large school district in Central Ohio who has a 35% truancy rate. So using the department's logic of we are only going to def- fund um, students when they are engaged in learning opportunities, let's take that money back from from those two school districts uh, and, and treat everybody the same. If um, Now, I, I've heard that the department's uh, argument against that is that virtual students can make up the time and they have the ability to make up the time. But I'm going to guess that that 38% uh, truancy rate in in Northeast Ohio, I'm going to guess those students aren't making up that time. And I'm going to guess the same for the 35% truancy rate from the district in Central Ohio. So um, if we want to use that logic, let's just fund everybody uh, equally and let's do everything uh, across the board the same. Um, Now, if you were going to do that in public school, and if you were not going to to fund public schools for the time that the students aren't engaged in learning opportunities. That means you're going to have to look at the time when students are switching classes, when students are going to lunch, when students are absent, when students are, are going to the bus and waiting for the bus, times that they're going to their lockers, times that they're at recess, at study hall. All of those are times they're not engaged in learning opportunities. And if we're truly concerned about the taxpayers' dollars, only paying for students when they're engaged in learning opportunities, let's do that across the board. And let's uh, let's make sure we're being mindful of the taxpayers' dollars, as I believe the judge in your court case said we need to do. Um, I'll give you an example. I looked in an elementary school, a very, uh, a very successful elementary school uh, that has good, good grades on the report card, which is amazing. I didn't, there's not many that, that did do well on the report card. But um, their class time only equates to three and a half hours a day. Their, their actual class time. Now, those kids are at recess, and, they're at li- and, and those are important things, those, those things for those kids. I'm not bashing the elementary school. They do a very good job. But the bottom line is they only have three, hour, three and a half hours a day of learning opportunities, even scheduled, even possible. Well, maybe, maybe though, the state's going to have those school districts sign pieces of paper counting for the kids every 15 minutes where they're at and get it signed off on by a parent and then a teacher, and that'll take care of it. You know, Rick, I'll, I'll tell you a story. This is really a heartbreaking story about a student. I, I received just the just a couple of weeks ago. I received a, a letter from um, Children's Hospital, uh, and it's about one of our students. And, and um, I, I don't know the technical term that or the medical term. It's just quite a long one. But the 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 translation is that the student has aggressive brain cancer, um, and, and they're treated. All a lot, obviously, at Children's Hospital. And also on there from the doctor, it said they're just not able to spend ex- extended periods of time on an assignment. They should have reduced assignments, and they should be able to have reduced time. And under uh, the department's new new standards for eSchools then, I, I won't get funded on, 
on that student. Now, are, are we going to turn that student away? Of course we're not. We're, we're really that student's only option. It's not even possible for them to go to the brick and mortar school. But if she did enroll in the brick and mortar school, they would be funded 100% for that student. Uh, but when we accept them, and I'm sure you have many students in the same right. situation, um, under the new department standards, we will not receive funding for that student. Yeah, it's, uh, we had a similar case last week, um, and you know we said, "Come on in," you know, because this is what we do. Um, but again, you know that example of how many hours my social worker is going to be engaged, how many hours is one of my graduation coaches going to be monitoring, um, just to get that young lady maybe online for an hour and a half or two hours a day with her condition. Um, you know, her family says, you know, she might only have three or four good hours a day and, and we don't necessarily want her in front of the computer that whole time because we'd like to continue to get to know our daughter. Um, and John, isn't that the saddest part of all this? You know, if your sponsor's rated poor and you've got to go in and talk to your board, and the board makes a decision that with the FTE issues going on and the sponsor rating mess that it is, and they decide that you're no longer in existence, what kind of choice does that student that you just discussed have? I mean, well, there are so many charter schools out there and, and, and probably representatives are, are, would tune in to, to Rick's show that, that they can identify with what you're saying. Uh, the, t- the department, I believe, are, are, are making rules without I, – I like to use the phrase um, playing checkers and playing chess. That The department's playing checkers. They're just thinking one move at a time without thinking about the effects of the move. And what we really need is the legislators to step in and play chess. We need them to step in. They're, they're the folks that we've elected to, to make decisions and make well-thought-out decisions. We've elected them to play chess, and we need them to think about – the steps that are going to take place down the road and, and make it a little bit more clear uh, what their, their true intentions are. Because if we leave it into the hands of checker players, then, then, then we're really doing a disservice to a large group of kids. Guys, thank you again. Thanks for coming today and sharing your thoughts on, on these issues and, and your stories. I really appreciate you being here. Thank you. For Rick's Rave this week, we want to acknowledge uh, a group uh, that we have at ECOT a club, the ECOT Pay It Forward Club held a prom fundraiser at Wendy's and raised $224.50 for the prom. They also brought in 156 pounds of uh, canned goods and collected food during family nights for the Mid-Ohio Food Bank. Again, congratulations and thanks to our ECOT Pay It Forward Club. Well, thanks again to our guests today, Jeff Nelson from the Virtual Community School of Ohio and John Lutz from Newark Digital Academy. And folks, I still want to hear from you. If you see something, uh, a question or a comment based on something that you heard today, please email it to me or use the hashtag RickResponds on social media. Make sure you check out this episode and past episodes by searching for us on Facebook or on iTunes. Just search ECOT or what you don't know. Until next time, thanks everybody.